What is up, podcast listeners? Thank you for giving me a few moments of your day to listen to this podcast. This is the Matt Baxter Show. I'm your host, Matt Baxter, and this podcast is about purpose, passion, and calling. Super stoked to have you as a listener because we're going to dive into some awesome, intense stories about people who are going through this journey of this thing called life, and we're all just figuring this out together. But seriously, you're giving me a little bit of your time, and I want to make sure it's valuable and worthwhile. So have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was getting this podcast off the ground, we first started as the Wedgecast, evolved into the Matt Baxter Show. There was a lot of questions that we had, like, how do I record an episode? How do I get my show in all the different places like Spotify, Apple Music, Anchor, Zencaster, all these different places. And yet it just seemed very, very complicated. But the simple thing for us as we began to navigate the waters is the answer to every single one of these questions, questions excuse me, was really simple. It's Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free. Yeah, free. And it's ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise in your podcast. That means you can get paid podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now. Yeah, making money. Okay, it's sweet. It's easy. It's not a big cheap plug on an ad, but it's just simple and easy to use. So for us, it's one of the best parts about it is we can do it entirely remote or in studio. So you can record, you've got that really, really high, you know, high in the sky person that you're going to have as a guest on your podcast. You got to do it remote. Anchor is easy to use. You got people who are willing to come to your studio, your house, your office, wherever you're recording it. Boom. Anchor. Love it. Simple, easy, simple and easy to use. So if you ever want to start a podcast, make money doing it, go to anchor.fm slash start. Join me in the diverse community of podcasters already using Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash start. Can't wait to hear your podcast. Podcast guests, you are about to listen to a very special episode with Henrik Fisker, who is the founder and CEO of Fisker Automotive. He is one of the most brilliant car designers of all time, period. He's designed yachts. He's designed high luxury vehicles. He's designed electric vehicles. He has just done some amazing creations. He's been super involved in the automotive world. He just recently posted his first experience of selling one of the Fisker automotive vehicles to Leonardo DiCaprio, which is awesome just to see that as well too. So I learned a lot about a world that I knew very little about, specifically around design and sort of the thinking of what it's like to be a designer, but also to talk a little smack about uh, diving. What is it truly like to design a car? And also he may or may not drop a hint or two about what it's like to design a yacht. So that's pretty cool too. So Henrik, thank you so much for being a guest on this episode of the podcast. Thank you for the influence that you have on the world and design and all the amazing things that you've done. So thank you so much. This episode is fantastic. Well, Henrik, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. I'm absolutely stoked to have you as a guest and this is going to be a lot of fun. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it, Matt. So I got to ask real quick, where, where in the world are you recording this from? I'm actually sitting at home in uh, Los Angeles right now. And, uh, you know, as everybody else working from home. <laughs> love that. Love that. Amazing. So you have been called uh, the greatest car designer of all time. You have designed some of the most beautiful vehicles on the road. You have designed yachts. You have designed sports cars, electric vehicles. Like, can you just give me the background, the story? Like, <clears throat> I'd love just to hear a little bit more about you and your story. Well, you know, I, I'm from, I was born in Denmark, even though I'm American now, but 
as I grew up in Denmark, I was always fascinated about specifically car design, but I think all design, why things look the way they did. And, and I always had ideas about how I could make them look different or better. Um, so I always wanted to be a car designer. And long story short, I ended up going to Art Center College of Design, which is, of course, an American design school here in uh, California and Pasadena. And my first job I landed was with BMW in 1989, uh, where my first project was actually an electric car, believe it or not. So that's sort of the very short part of the story. But essentially, I always wanted to be a car designer. And, uh, you know, no matter, I had a few other jobs early on, but I just couldn't concentrate. I kept on drawing cars. So eventually I just had to go and get a, a car design, a transportation, uh, you know, education. And that's really what, what got me into the whole thing. So was there a particular car that was the inspiration behind sort of your nick for designing? I know when you when you talk about some of the greatest architects of all time, they can say, you know, this was the one building that really inspired me to want to go into architecture, painters or artists or anything like that. Was there a particular car when you were growing up that was really sort of that that twinkle in your eye, like, I want to build more of those? Well, you know, I, I remember as at a very young age, I may have been, I don't know, how old I really was, but I remember sitting in my backseat of my father's Saab 96, which were, you know, quite some years ago that existed. And uh, I remember seeing this Maserati, I believe it was a Bora, uh, just passing us on the freeway. And I remember thinking, this just looks so amazing, looks like a spaceship. And I, that's one of the cars that always stuck in my mind. I mean, later, there's so many other great cars out there, but I think uh, the idea about being able to do something really uh, emotionally and dramatic that sort of attracts people where you, your heart starts beating and it's really an object which in the end of the day is just mobility, but um, to be able to create something that people love and desire and moves them around and gives them freedom, I just always just love that idea. And I think that Maserati is probably one of the, the earliest uh, inspirations I, I had. Yeah, that's amazing. So when you design a car, when you first come up with a concept for a car, is it, I'm going to create a hundred different ones that all look remarkably different. And then I'm going to find out what is the top one and spend the most time with that. Is it, you pick one design and then constantly make iterations until it's something that you want to produce. Sort of what, what can you, can you walk me through sort of the artist side of things of like what creating a car that actually, actually turns into concept is like what that process is like? Well, so I think that first, you know, you, you do go through more of a thinking process on, on, you know, what type of vehicle are you, designing and what type of project are you going to do? So I, I, I'm not really the type of guy who just sits down randomly a sketch. I mean, I might have an idea to a completely nothing to do with the project I'm working on and I'll, I'll sit and do a sketch and save it for later. But reality, I think, is that you first think about what is this vehicle about and what market segment. So let's say if it happens to be an SUV, like our, our new Fisker Ocean, uh, and it's electric, you know, the first thing you start thinking about, okay, what market segment are going into? And then you, I start sketching fairly quickly, just little thumbnail sketches, kind of to see my, my first feeling is always, I got to come up with something that is, is different, that isn't really out there right now. And my second point is I want to design something that I would buy that I think looks really excited that I would want to drive down the street and, 
So I slowly start and I don't do like hundred different sketches. I usually come uh, to sort of a direction fairly quickly, uh, but sometimes it can also be that you're sketching and think you have a great idea. And as you start trying to solve some of the issues with this idea, it gets diluted and it ends up being not really the ideal idea anymore. So you've got to change direction and start over. And that kind of happens, I think, in the first few weeks of, of any sort of design program where you run through uh, several ideas that you thought was good, but then for whatever reasons, you realize it wasn't as good as you thought in the beginning. Sometimes it's just a matter of looking at the same sketch, same design uh, for several days. Usually when I'm early in the, in the uh, creative process, I pretty much look at the same sketch that I'm working on throughout the entire day from when I wake up in the morning is the first thing I look at. And throughout the day, I look at it and I look at it in different mediums, not only actually on, on uh, the sketch paper. What I do is I take a photo, several photos of this sketch, if I've done several ones of them, and I would look at it on my iPad and I look at it on my phone. And the reason is that I find it sometimes really good to see a sketch in, in kind of a small picture because it makes the, in the, the, the theme, the design theme, the overriding design theme stand out. If you look only at the sketch in front of you, the real sketch, or you look always at a very big picture, you pay too much attention to the little details. And I think what's always important in a vehicle, and for me, what I always try to solve first, is kind of like, what is sort of the big overriding theme of this vehicle? And then you start applying some of the details later but you got to have first a big theme nailed down. That's kind of how I work. And then, of course, once that's nailed down, and once you've I've kind of made that decision that now that is the sketch, I then uh, like to go very quickly into a three-dimensional model. And really, where I want to see it is a clay model. But to get to clay quicker, what we now do is we make a quick alias model that usually uh, is done in a way where you adhere to some of the restrictions or that you have, which could be, let's say, if you're in a certain size segment, you want to make sure the vehicle is that size. Sometimes you've already worked with engineers, which we had in our case, where you want to make sure there's enough of an interior space that you might take a lead in this class, which means that, you know, you're following certain what we call hard points of the vehicle. Uh, so you make a quick alias model and then we like to mill it out in clay. And we usually do a quick scale model first, which I'll only spend probably a week or two on. You want to go really fast. You do it very rough and you don't do too much refinement. And then at least I don't. And then what I do is we then go back into alias or the computer. You look at some of the engineering requirements. You try and, and pull and push the shapes to fit those. And we then mill it out in full size. And the full size, that's where I really spend time on the surfacing, on the highlights, on the lines being absolutely precise. And I'll spend several months on that with three or four clay modelers where we move the lines up and down, sometimes just in millimeters. And we do that in three dimension. Uh, so we think about a plan view, a side view, et cetera. And of course, all these surfaces and shapes has to come together. And that's really where the design kind of get finalized and where you really want to make sure you don't lose that original idea of the sketch. And that's actually where a lot of designs get diluted so much that they're not quite as cool as that original sketch.
when you are when you're going through this design process, are you having like a particular customer in mind? Are you having like you're you're fitting the design of something that you want it to be, or is this you are starting from something that you visualize as what you have in your mind, and then you're pushing that through until it's perfect from your perspective, and then you know taking on the market opinion or other people's thoughts and ideas. Sort of what's the contrast of building it exactly as you want it versus taking on the feedback of what others want? So in my career, I've been lucky to design you know mainly sports cars and and more expensive cars, and in all these projects, I've never. I've always just tried to try to stay true to what I believe is the absolute best design in, in for this particular vehicle. And I've done the same with, with the Fisker Ocean, even though it's an affordable vehicle. And I I personally work in a in a way where I try to get as little input as possible from anybody early on design process because I wanna make sure that I get sort of the rawness and my creative intent put into a design before I start getting swayed uh, on certain things. Little later in the process, uh, you start to get into some discussions and it can be two discussions, either with engineers about whether you can actually make this happen. And the other could be a discussion where you may weigh on certain functionality. So it could be, hey, we got to lift the roof a little bit in the rear because we can hardly fit anybody in this vehicle because it's you know drops so fast it looks really cool but we need some more interior space or whatever it might be so those are usually the two areas where i take some um uh, input and then of course you also have a design team so i will have my design team as well give input throughout the process which is you know either they might i might ask them to do some sketches on a tail lamp design or, or a certain part of the car uh, and and then, you know, I might say, hey, this is kind of a neat idea or this is a great idea and it, it's actually a little better than what I've done. Maybe you can refine it. So there's some interaction with the design team as well. Uh, but one of the things we don't do at Fisker, uh, the car company, is we don't go out and do focus groups. Uh, I, I don't really think they work. I think people don't know what they want in three years. I think that's what we are here for. To, to actually come up with the the future and the vision. Uh, it's just like, I wouldn't know, you know, what the fashion of a men's suit are in three years. That's something you leave to the fashion designers to do. Uh, and I think it's the same in car design. I'm sure in some car companies, specifically some bigger ones, there's a lot more cooks in the kitchen, but I, I generally find too many cooks in the kitchen, you know, spoils the meal, uh, which is an old saying, and I think it's true in, in design. Uh, but, you know, I think the biggest discussions are usually around feasibility and usability. And that, again, comes back to what type of vehicle you're designing. If you're designing an extreme sports car, you're compromising a lot more about how easy it is to get in and out of the car or, you know, other things. How big is the trunk space? But if you're designing, you know, an SUV, you've got to be competitive in that segment. So you do need to work closely with engineers to understand what we call the packaging of this vehicle does it stack up in this segment now you can always make some compromises because you feel this will make the car look a lot better uh, but it but but you do have to spend a lot more time valuing these compromises yeah it's interesting you mentioned about too many cooks in the kitchen spoils the meal so i have a startup myself and i sort of have a vision for the way i see 
things going and where I want my product to live and the value that it creates. And there's this constant tension of making informed data-driven decisions about what the market is asking of us, but also being a vision to say, we know that some people don't know what they don't know and they don't know what they want yet. And so we want to create something for that. And I can imagine cars and especially luxury cars, for example, are a classic, you know, idea around design of creating something, yes, that customers want, but also we're creating the vision for what they want as well, too. And so I just the, the, the poll of what the market is desiring today versus the market, you know, what they're desiring in three years, I got to imagine is such a difference for you. And, and you know, how, how to create something that's amazing today versus something that we see as the future of things. I got to, you know, that's that's fascinating. I love that. Yeah, I mean, I think I think you know you also have to think about that in a car. Uh, when you even when you get into almost the lowest segment in terms of price, there's always some emotional uh, decision in there as well, and it it really is different between people. Some people may only have one percent emotion and ninety nine percent data driven, uh, and data driven can of course be price, or it can be the size of the trunk or how many people fits in it. But I would say a lot of people will, will have, I would say, at least 20% or sometimes 30 or 40 or 50% an emotional uh, part of the brain taking the decision. And the way to get people to spend or to increase that percentage of the emotions and the decision is, of course, by making the vehicle as attractive and as emotionally engaging as possible and you know, that's what I try to do because at the end of the day, I just feel it's great for us uh, as a society to have beautiful things around us rather than ugly things. Uh, you know, we could all drive around the minivan. We can all live in a box with, you know, two windows and call it a house. But at the end of the day, it's I think it's inspiring and it and we create a much more exciting and fun world if everything we are around that is created by the humans are also beautiful and that's why you just got to find those uh, right buttons to push and you're going to have to find the right compromises uh, depending on, you know, what market segment you're in. So we're definitely on the emotional side. I think there's room for everybody. There's people who make, you know, very boring products that are just for usability and that's it. And that's fine. There's a certain market segment for that, but it's not the market segment we are in, obviously. Speaking of, you know, sort of the uh, the emotional side of things and, and creating beautiful things, a very, very serious question I have. You have shown um, a yellow lab in multiple of your Instagram posts. What's the dog's name? And is that your dog? <laughs> well, it's actually a friend's dog. So it's not my dog. And <laughs> okay. Paldo. <laughs> and, uh, we, you know, they, they came about because as we were taking photographs uh, of the vehicle, I said, you know what, uh, there's so many people who have asked on uh, my social media, hey, can my dog fit in there? And I thought, why don't we actually just bring a dog in? Because, you know, it doesn't make sense just to write, yes, a dog fits. Because, first of all, there's many different sizes of dogs. And, you know, what does that really mean? So we actually just, I just said, hey, does somebody have a dog that can bring in? So we brought in this dog. And, it, it, you know, one of the most difficult things that I'm sure you know is filming with an animal because they just don't follow <laughs> <laughs> you know, any uh, description of what you want to do. So it was a lot of fun moments and uh, it, it was just kind of fun. And I thought it was a little different way of, of uh, you know, just showing a product and, and uh, yeah, it got quite a good response. So it worked quite well. 
Oh yeah, yeah. I was watching that. I've got a golden retriever myself, and so I was watching that. And I was thinking, well, if if that yellow lab can fit, it, it could definitely fit my golden retriever. So love that. It's amazing. So um, I'd love to talk just a little bit about sort of the difference between the car designing world and being a manufacturing and 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 actually having your own your own company and that side of things. So you have design cars and then also helped produce cars and be involved in that. Sort of walk me through the experience in that space, whatever you're comfortable sharing of just like on the actual owning a product line and owning, you know, taking those cars to market as well too. I'd love just to hear your perspective on that. Yeah. So I, I think that the car industry is the most capital industry in the world, most likely. Um, and it is probably as a consumer product, the car is probably the most difficult consumer product to manufacture. And specifically because you're replicating the same product again and again and again, and extremely complicated. And then it, it needs to have extremely high quality because of the price that people pay for vehicles and it needs to be reliable and safe and everything else. So having gone through this pro process several times in my life, both working for you know, different car companies and then my own car company. One of the things uh, I came to the conclusion when we started Fisker in 2016 uh, on a clean sheet of paper, Fisker Inc., was really that the car industry hasn't really be, this is the only industry that really hasn't gone through a real reinvention. You know, most other industries has really been reinvented some, some way or another, whether it's retail with Amazon or, you know, the phone with, with Apple and, you know, you can go on and on with many different industries, computers and so on. But, but the car really haven't seen, so the, the I, and I don't mean the product itself, but the car industry, how it operates. So it kind of, I, it was a long winded thing to get to your, to your point. But one of the things that everybody has an opinion about the car industry is that is how it works. So most people feel that to, to be in the car industry, you first of all must design a car, then you must develop it, then you must test it, and then you must tool up for it, and then you must build a factory, and then you must manufacture that car, and then you must send that car to a dealer, and then the dealer must sell it. That's kind of how everybody thinks about the car industry, and that's how everybody does it today. But one of the things we wanted to do was to actually disrupt that. So we have done that, and I don't know that we necessarily need to do it the way it's done today. And I mean, you can look at other industries where, you know, Apple is working with Foxconn, or you can look at, you know, how we buy things from Amazon. I would never have thought if you asked me 20 years ago, if a woman would buy shoes, you know, online, I would probably said no, but it's doable. Or you see how taxis are not necessarily owned by uh, a big group anymore. It's private people driving around and it's called Lyft and Uber. Uh, and, you, and you get them directed to on your phone and all that stuff. So we have kind of tried to do that. So I'm not quite ready to tell you exactly what we have done about manufacturing. But with the experience that I've had, uh, one of the key goals was to, um, to actually get a vehicle to the customer in the absolute highest quality and the most efficient way. And that's how we are thinking about development and manufacturing. So the goal was not to say, I must build a factory, which I can show off to everybody and take all the journalists through and, and show them how we build a car. That was not the goal. 
So when you think about the goal that way, it also changed the way that we were thinking about development and manufacturing. And it's something we're going to announce uh, something about uh, probably in a couple of months' time. Uh, and and it'll, it'll be quite different than the way people think about car development and manufacturing. Let me just put it that way. Yeah, I love that. And obviously we'll we'll stay tuned uh stay tuned for that announcement as well too. So, um switching gears a little bit, uh out of out of all the different cars that you've made or designed, was there one in particular that you maybe not your favorite because I'm sure you've been asked that plenty of times, but was there one in particular that you had designed in your head for one you know, se- sector segment or had one intention of it or one market for it. And it went completely different than what you thought and that, that worked out well. Is there anything, you know, any stories like that, that you have of cars that you've designed? So I would say all the vehicles that I've designed and, and worked on is, is vehicles where, you know, I had a pretty, pretty much set in my mind what market segment they would go into. So there wasn't really a dramatic surprise in terms of the segment. Uh, but I will tell you two things that that has struck me uh, as as interesting. One was when we launched the Fiskarkama, it was very clearly meant as a four door coupe, but uh, no journalist could accept that and kept asking why there wasn't more interior space and why you know uh, there was such a small trunk. They, and they couldn't come to grips with that if a car was electric or a plug-in hybrid, it could also be designed as a sports coupe and not necessarily as a utilitarian vehicle just because it happened to be a sustainable vehicle. But, you know, we were so early out with that car that it's probably understandable why that happened. Uh, the second one, I would say, is probably the Fisker Ocean. When I started designing the Fisker Ocean, uh, we thought I thought it was going to actually be set in a slightly higher pricing segment. Um, so the vehicle design is almost like more high-end and luxurious uh, than you would expect from a vehicle that started $37,500. It was sort of thought to be more of a vehicle that maybe would start at seventy dollars or $80,000. Uh, but as we went through it and struck some unique business deals, um, we were able to lower the price of the vehicle, but we stuck with the design. It became a little more compact than originally, um, but we stuck with the design. And I think that should be a benefit for the customer to actually get a great looking car for an affordable price. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I got to ask, tell me about uh, t- tell me about designing the yacht. So I know I, I've, seen, I've seen a little bit of your work on that. Um, I could ask the dumb question and say, what's the difference between designing a car and designing a yacht? I get that. But what was sort of your, uh, in your brain when you're waking up and having your cup of coffee in the morning, thinking through designing a boat versus designing a car, what was going through your head? Well, you know, what's going through my head was suddenly that this is all, I mean, a lot of this is all is about how what people do on a yacht and what what is it that needs to be on a yacht so you know when i sketch a car i'm not even thinking about that there's four people there's a trunk and there's a steering wheel because all those are so ingrained in me that i don't i don't need to think about those four wheels and you know needs to get some air in somewhere i don't need to think about any of that but with a yacht it was such a new experience where 
you know, yes, I did some sketches quickly, but then the next step was really to understand, you know, what is this yacht about and, and how does yacht works and what do people do on them? So it was sort of a lot of, of new research for me. So when I, when I, um, when I woke up in the morning, I was kind of thinking, you know, if I was sort of living there, what, what would I need? What would I want? Um, and spoke with a few people that had been on yachts, et cetera. But it, it was generally, I found very hard to figure it out. So I started to read a lot about yachts, et cetera, and kind of understanding the size I was designing. And it really, by the way, came up this project because it was uh, somebody at a party approached me and said, hey, why don't you decide a yacht? And I know a company and blah, blah. So that's how it came around. But it was a really interesting experience because I also did a few things that the the the, the yacht builders were surprised surprised about because they of course have certain things that they feel must be on a yacht, which I didn't include. And some of the things actually went all the way where they weren't included. One was like a formal dining room I didn't do because I thought, why do you need that on a yacht? But it's on all big yachts, so I just removed it and made an electric bar that would actually raise or lower itself to become the dining table, uh, which was something they loved. So it, it was a real interesting experience and uh, it's something I would, I would do again, uh, but it's a lot of hard work with, um, you know, a lot of engineering uh, involved as well, because obviously this thing has to sail and go quickly through the water. So the hull and all that has to have certain dimensions and shapes. But literally, I design everything on top, above the water. That's the way you can kind of uh, say it. Uh, but it, it was just a, such a different mental experience that was more about living inside it. So I think even designing an interior of a car, uh, you know, yes, you're in it, you drive it, but you don't live in the car. I mean, I know some people do, unfortunately, but, uh, you know, literally you don't live in a car, but you live on a yacht. And on top of that, what's unusual about a yacht specifically that size is that you have about as many staff members as people uh, on there. So in this particularly sort of a 164-foot yacht, you have about 12 guests and 12 staff, which is sort of interesting. And all these people have to be able to get around. And then on top of that, you have to plan for that whoever owns that yacht also has a party with 80 people, and they have to be able to move around and be entertained. Uh, in different locations. So it's sort of a whole different way of, of thinking, which I thought was fascinating as, as a design experience. Real quick on that. When you had been on yachts in the past, were you thinking about sort of like, does your brain sort of think of the design of the way things work? And so were you, when you had been on design, you know, excuse me, when you had been on yachts in the past, were you thinking about designing one? And then all of a sudden you got approached and you're like, yeah, I'll take this on. Or is it not really something you had spent a lot of time thinking about? And all of a sudden you got approached and it's like, yeah, I'll, I'll give that a whirl. What was sort of your, you know, before, before, after ideas on that? You know, Matt, every time I see something, I mean, something that has a certain kind of value for, for humans beyond just basic use, I kind of always think about designing it. So, you know, it happens with houses. I walk into a real cool house. And the first thing I think I would have done it this way, or it kind of gets me excited. And sometimes I'll go home and do a sketch. So the same happened that with, with the yacht. So when I've seen a yacht or walked in a harbor or been on one, I've, I've always thought, oh, it'd be kind of cool to design one. Uh, and I even think I'd done some sketches, but mainly just of the exterior, just sort of a speed shape. Um, and, and houses is definitely something I, I love, love, you know, 
I love architecture as well, but I'll do it like with a phone. I've just, you know, I've sketched a phone. I've just, you know, I've sketched the next iPad. By the way, I don't understand why you have to buy, you know, a, 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 a holder for, what do you call it, a cover for a phone. Why can't we design a phone just so the cover is already there and that is the phone, meaning, you know, how you hold it and how, you know, it protects it, et cetera. So, you know, for me, for instance, the iPad, what really annoys me is that there's nothing behind the pad that you can hold on to. So you're going to have to buy some ugly cover to put on there to do that. So, you know, those are things that always go through our mind. And usually you're thinking it from two point of views. It's either just pure, quick aesthetics. And then the next thought is usability. How can I improve this particular product uh, from what it is today? Uh, and, and so that that goes on my mind all the time, every day with different type of, of objects. Yeah, love that. Love that. Once it once a designer probably never, never is able to shut off or anything like that. So you mentioned uh, earlier about designing something and sort of helping. You're the one designing and you're the one sort of leading innovation so that three years from now, this is what people want. What are, from your perspective, three years from now in the car industry, and again, obviously, whatever you're comfortable sharing, but what three years from now, what are people going to want that they have no idea that they want from your perspective? And then also, what are, you know, what are people desiring today that is spot on and will m- remain true in three years? Would you have sort of perspectives on both of those? Yeah, so I think one is, is actually accelerated uh through this uh covid-19 crisis and i think that's the whole digital interaction and i think what what will and have been accelerated is that i think in 3 years people will be totally comfortable buying a vehicle online or on an app like we have developed and just getting it delivered at home and not even test driving it nothing i think the the two reasons is first that just the digital experience will be so good and developed that it can be done. And secondly, as we move towards electric cars, test drives become less and less important because test drives were done to see if you could actually turn the steering wheel because there was no power steering. It was done so you could see if you could you know, change gears. It was too difficult. You know, and all these things are disappearing or, or listening how the engines sound. All these are disappearing with electric cars. So I think the digital experience going fully digital, the way you buy, you get your car serviced, all that is going to be something that people's going to want in three years. Um, and that's more to do with the actual experience. I think with the product itself, what I foresee is, uh, for, you can call it for good or for bad, but many young people today, their first automotive experience is sitting in the backseat of a Lyft or an Uber. And it's usually, you know, a pretty boring uh you know, vehicle, let's face it, it's not, you know, something very exciting because Uber vehicles just have to be efficient. And because of that, I think a lot of young people don't have the emotional connection with a car, like the way older people today remember their first car and the first car experience and all that. So um, I think that the, the in three years, people are going to want increasingly, uh, utilitarian aspects but because an expense because it is an expensive uh purchase and because it still will remain i think somewhat of a status symbol people are going to want vehicles that combine usability with 
visual emotional excitement and we have kind of in the past separated the two to some extreme where you've had the complete non-emotional design of a minivan to the complete emotional design of a two-seater sports car and i think these extremes will become less relevant and i think we're going to see a merging of these extremes into vehicles and it's probably what we will refer to as SUVs and crossovers and those vehicles I think will become more extreme in design while remaining utilitarian and will come up with new utility aspects. So so those are the things for the future. I think for today what what people are are looking for is um you know I I don't think it's materially different than it was a year or two ago. I think people just generally are, are jumping into crossover vehicles and, and uh, you know, SUVs is, is still the vehicles people are jumping into. Uh, but I would say the last thing that also will happen in three years is I think people will demand more sustainable vehicles generally. As we get out of this crisis, I do think a little bit will stick in many people's mind about how we need generally to create a cleaner environment. We can already see it. I was just seeing this morning. Uh, I just got an app, uh, uh, you know, or WhatsApp from my daughter saying, "Hey, eleven thousand people uh, has uh, you know avoided dying of pollution in Europe just because of the cleaner air." So I think as we as we move out of this crisis and we truly see, yes, it was terrible, but we also learned what pollution can do and how quickly we can actually get rid of pollution. And a big factor of that is cars. And this will drive, I think, not only electric cars, but also generally that we do more to make sustainable vehicles, both with recycled materials and how we build the vehicles. Yeah. Love that. Love that. And it's, it's been fascinating to track the downgrade of pollution due to all this and seeing, you know, what we can do when we come out of this and the impact that we can have on this is just fascinating. So I love that. Um, so I got to ask my, my absolute favorite question on the planet is, uh, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning? And, you know, the, the idea of this question comes around purpose, passion, and calling. And so for you, knowing that you've been an amazing car designer throughout the course of your career, you've had a bunch of companies, you've had success in a lot of different magnitudes when it comes to this. So what is it like for you personally that drives you and drives you to continue doing what you're doing, continue to have the energy and the joy for it? What is it, you know, that ultimately gets you out of bed to, to keep moving forward? Well, you know what? I just love creating, you know, designs and specifically beautiful cars and vehicles. So what gets me out every morning is the fact that, you know, I want to see these vehicles come to life, get out in customers' hands. And there's so much work to be done every single day. And I'm super excited about it. I'm super excited to, you know, see what the team has been doing and what they're going to do today. And for me, you know, I have new ideas that I want to get moved forward and I have new ideas every day I wake up. So what gets me out is just that I know that we are helping create some really cool vehicles that we aim to be the most sustainable vehicles in the world. And maybe we can do our contribution to creating a cleaner world. And that's really one of the things in the last couple of years that really has driven me is really that I can, in, in, in sort of the sector I am in, can truly make a contribution beyond, of course, making a beautiful and exciting car, but also something that contributes to a better environment. And, you know, that's something that 
I think was very difficult to think about many, many years ago. And it's very difficult sometimes to think about, of course, if you work in a certain environment where you're not in charge, but in this case, I am in charge and I feel an obligation to do something about this. And that's kind of what gets me out in the morning that, you know, I just feel that every day there's some ideas about how can we make a more sustainable vehicle. But, you know, I just generally love design and, you know, I love to wake up and, you know, look at the latest new car models that came out or whatever it might be and looking at the sketch I did last night. Um, so I, I'm just very driven in what I do. I love what I do for me as a hobby. And I probably shouldn't say that, but even if I wasn't paid to do it, I would still do it. Uh, and, and right now, by the way, I'm not paid to do it. Uh, hopefully that pay comes at one one point in time. But uh, I love what I do and I would do it even if, if I didn't get paid for it. Yeah, that's amazing. And that's kind of the whole point of this. It's that, you know, there are people out there in so many different walks of life who you're you're doing this because you love it. Sure. You know, at times seeing the joy of collecting a paycheck because you've produced an amazing car or royalties on that or whatever is is fantastic. But at the end of the day, you're still doing this because it drives you, it motivates you, it excites you. And that's 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 the whole point to this is sharing stories and hearing people's impact on that. So I, I love, you know, I love hearing that. So Henrik, is there anything else? Obviously, I want to give you a, a chance. We'll include social handles so people you know, can follow you and your work that you're doing. But is there anything else that you want to leave the audience with? No, I think we, we really got through everything. I, I think for me, the most, for me, what I would like to leave the audience with is the more you can do as a consumer to buy things that are sustainable, obviously with a great design, the, the more we can all do uh, to create a cleaner world. And I think that's something everybody can contribute to in even in the smallest way. And I think good design in the future is going to have to incorporate sustainability. Uh, that will be one of the key factors for good design. Love that. That's amazing. Well, Henrik, thank you so much for being a guest on this podcast. This has been fabulous. So thank you for being a guest on the show. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it. <laughs>